All right, Krishna. So any feedback from our uh, last class that we had with uh, with um, uh, those two devotees from the Bhakti Gnath Institute, Pramatirta Prabhu, and I always get his name. It's not Madan Gopal, because I'm dealing with another devotee named Madan Gopal. The guy who was a physicist? Yeah. I know him well, and I just, anyway, his name just... Uh, it was very stimulating, because... Um, early, right? Yeah. Go ahead, uh, Andy. It was stimulating. Yeah, because I've been, for some reason, the coronavirus, I've been looking at a lot of these physics videos. Uh-huh. And it, it meshed together amazingly well. Cool. Believe it or not. I believe it. Yeah. Because <clears throat> mathematically, we don't have to be three-dimensional. We could be two-dimensional. Uh-huh. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, well, it was... I, I, you know, I'm thinking that... Uh, I'll do that from time to time, bringing in a guest speaker to uh, talk about these things. But I do want you to know that we're not going to spend much time now on the structure of the universe since we had that presentation. And if you have questions, uh, we can compile them and then I can send them to those devotees to get answers and we can go over them. But, I, you know, I don't claim to that to be my uh, field of expertise. Um, but I was, it was, and I, gosh, the class went on a half hour late, I believe, uh, due to popular demand. <laughs> All right, so we are studying the, uh, now for this chapter, I was thinking we won't read every verse. That's why in the homework assignment, I said, please read the verses. The next chapter we will, because it's mainly, um, it's not about the structure of the universe so much exactly. It's different residents of Jambutweep offering prayers to the Lord. So we will read those, but we'll mainly go over the, uh, the purports that I said. Um, but what we could do is we'll just read the summary. How does that sound? Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Ajnana Timurandasya Jnana Janashalakaya. Chakshura Militam Yena Tazmai Shri Guru So just to give us a frame of reference, the 17th chapter describes the origin of the Ganges River and how it flows in and around Elavritta Varsha. There is also a description of the prayers Lord Shiva offers to Lord Sankarsana, part of the quadruple expansion of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Lord Vishnu once approached Bali Maharaj while the king was performing a sacrifice. The Lord appeared before him as Trivikra or Vamana and begged alms from the king in the form of three steps of land. With two steps, Lord Vamana covered the, uh, all three planetary systems and pierced the coverings of the universe with the toes of his left foot. A few drops of water from the causal ocean leaked through this hole and fell on the head of Lord Shiva where they remain for 1,000 millennials. These drops of water are the sacred Ganges River. It first flows in, onto the heavenly planets, which are located at the soles of Lord Vishnu's feet. The Ganges River is known by many names, such as Pagirati uh, and the Janavi. It purifies Dhruvaloka and the planets of the seven sages, because both Dhruva and the sages have no other desire than to serve the Lord's lotus feet. 
The Ganges River emanating from the lotus feet of the Lord inundates the heavenly planets, especially the moon, and then flows through Brahmapuri atop Mount Meru. Here the river divides into four branches known as Sita, Alakananda, Chakshu, and Bhadra, the, uh, which then flow down to the ocean of salt, to the ocean of salt water. The branch known as Sita flows through Shekara Parvat and Gandamandana Parvat and then flows down to Badrashva Parsha, where it mixes with the ocean of salt water in the east. The Chakshu, the Chakshu branch flows through Malyavan uh, Giri and after reaching Ketumala, Varsha mixes with the ocean of salt in the west. The branch known as Badra, Badra, flows into Mount Meru, Mount Kumuda, and the Nila, Sweta, and Shingaban mountains before it reaches Kurudesh, where it flows onto the ocean of salt water in the north. The Alakananda branch flows through Brahmalaya, crosses over many mountains, including Hemakuta and Himakuta, and then reaches Bharatavarsh, where it flows into the southern side of the ocean of salt water. Many other rivers and their branches uh, flow through the nine varshas. The track of land known as Bharatvarsh is the field of activities, and the other eight varshas are for persons who are meant to enjoy heavenly comfort. In each of these eight beautiful provinces, the celestial denizens enjoy various standards of material comfort and pleasure. A different incarnation of the Supreme Personality of God, it distributes his mercy in each of the nine varshas of Chambuki. In the Ilavrita Varsha, Lord Shiva is the only male. There he lives with his wife, uh, Bhavani, who is attended by many maidservants. If, all, if any other male enters that province, Bhavani curses him to become a woman. Lord Shiva worships Lord Sankarsana by offering various prayers, one of which is as follows. My dear Lord, please liberate all your devotees from material life and bind all the non-devotees to the material world. Without your mercy, no one can be released from the bondage of material existence. Okay. So we are first hearing about the, the Ganga or the Ganges in the first verse of this chapter. And the translation is, Sukadeva Goswami said, My dear King, Lord Vishnu, the enjoyer of all sacrifices, appears, appeared as Vamanadev in the sacrificial arena of Bali Maharaj. Then he extended his left foot to the end of the universe and pierced a hole at its covering with the nail of his big toe. Through the hole, the pure water of the causal ocean entered the universe as the Ganges River. Having washed the lotus feet of the Lord, which are covered with reddish powder, the water of the Ganges acquired a very beautiful pink color. Uh, every living being can immediately purify his mind of material contaminations by touching the transcendental waters of the Ganges. Yet its waters remain ever pure. Because the Ganges directly touches the lotus feet of the Lord before descending within this universe, she is known as Vishnu Padi. Later she received other names like Janavi and Hagi uh, Rati. After 1,000 millennials, the water of the Ganges descended to Andruvaloka, the topmost planet of the universe, Therefore, all learned sages and scholars proclaim Jubaloka to be Vishnupada, situated at the lotus feet of Lord, uh, uh, situated on Lord Vishnu's lotus feet. So Prabhupada writes that in this verse, Sukadeva Goswami describes the glories of the Ganges River. 
The water of the Ganges is called Patita Pavani, the deliverer of all sinful living beings. It is a proven fact that a person who regularly bathes in the Ganges is purified both externally and internally. And then it says, uh, internally he de gradually develops a devotional attitude towards the Supreme Personality of God. So the Ganges is, uh, is an amazing river. Um, how many of you have bathed in the Ganges? Henry, Andy says yes. You can also do a thumbs up. Yeah, Rashmi has. Okay. I'm sure Anantarupa and Jivatafa have. And Shaksha, you probably have also, right? And Raghunandan, yes? Not bathing, but I have uh, drank from the Ganges water directly. Achha. You can also, uh, I think, buy it at the gift shop in Iskan, uh, Iskan uh, GC. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's uh, it's quite an experience. I, I, let's see, I've um, bathed, uh, well, of course, in uh, Rishikesh and Hardwar. And even above that, in Alakananda, uh, Alakananda River, and um, uh, I forget the name of it, but further north, it is so cold. <laughs> and then in Allahabad, and of course in Sri Mayapur, those are at least places that I know for sure I bathed in the Ganga. Um, it's an amazing rivers are amazing. In one sense, right? They, you know, what was that saying that we came up with the other day that you don't bathe in the same river twice because the water is always flowing, right? Um, just like, you know, our, the time of this body is always moving on, moving on. And what's, what I found interesting is I was trying to do a little research. So the Ganga is, of course, in itself, in and of itself, very purifying, right? Someone just put in the chat, ah, yes, uh, Shakshi Gopal in Hardwar, it's very clean, yes. Yes, there's no... Uh, um, Nothing has poured into the Ganga yet there. Um, that it is purifying in and of itself. And as we think about the Shastra and the different way, times that the Ganga is mentioned, it's, it's like the perfect backdrop for performing devotional service. Right? So we have, um, for example, let me see, I thought I took the notes here, but, you know, Dhruva Maharaj. Um, hmm, what does it say here? Oops. Um, I'm just looking for my notes. Oh, wait, I was looking at the wrong notes. <laughs> Lord Chaitanya was born near the Ganga, right? If anyone's been to uh, Lord Chaitanya's birthplace, very close to the Ganga. Uh, Maharaj Prikshit sat down to hear from Sukadeva Goswami, where? Next to the Ganga. Krishna and the Pandavas and Draupati went to the Ganga to deliver water to the to the dead um, relatives. And, and more and more, there's so many examples of the Ganges used as kind of like a backdrop for performing devotional service. We also know Karna was placed in the Ganga. And then also the, Gan the Ganga is, uh, or she, she is used as, sometimes as a metaphor. Um, one of the famous ones is in the eighth chapter of the first canto, O Lord of Madhu, as the Ganges forever flows to the sea without hindrance, let my attraction be constantly drawn unto you without being diverted to anyone else. Mm -hmm. So, that beautiful kind of uh, metaphor there. 
I don't think any of us could stop the flow of the Ganges, right? It's actually quite powerful in, in some parts. of In Haridwar, you know, or let's say in Rishikesh, if you're not holding on to one of the chains, you're going to end up in Haridwar. Because <laughs> it goes so quickly. And in Haridwar, they have all those chains that you hold on to right, when you're taking bath because you don't want to let go. Uh, it is, uh, it, it's very, very uh, powerful. And sometimes deceivingly so. Uh, you, you sometimes parts of it, like in Mayapur, if you don't stay near the edge and you go out in the middle, you, it looks like it's just kind of going not so fast. It is going very fast and very strong. Um, and then uh, Ananda Rupa or uh, Jiva Tatvapupu put that the Ganges is also mother of Bhishma Pitamaha. Okay. Uh, and Henry says he has several bottles of Ganges water in his home. So he'll bring one to the next time we're together in person. Put a few drops in our head. <laughs> yes, so um, very special. And sometimes it is said in the Shastra that although so purifying, things like hearing and chanting about Krishna is more purifying. Uh, one place it said, it probably writes, I believe this is in the uh, introduction to the Gita. One who drinks the water of the Ganges attains salvation. So what to speak of one who drinks the nectar of Bhagavad Gita? Bhagavad Gita is the essential nectar of the Mahabharata and it is spoken by Lord Krishna himself, the original Vishnu. Bhagavad Gita comes from the mouth of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and the Ganges is said to emanate from the lotus feet of the Lord. Of course, there is no difference between the mouth and the feet of the Supreme Lord but from an impartial study, we can appreciate that Bhagavad Gita is even more important than the water of the Ganges. That's from the introduction to the Gita. Um, and then in the 10th chapter of the Gita, Krishna says that of flowing rivers, I am the Ganges. Uh, and then here's another comparison. Uh, this is in the right in the first chapter of the Bhagavatam, Osuta. Those great sages who have completely taken shelter of the lotus feet of the Lord can at once sanctify those who come in touch with them, whereas the waters of the Ganges can sanctify only after prolonged use. Purport, pure devotees of the Lord are more powerful than the waters of the sacred river Ganges. And then Sugandha has put here, um, and this is from Adi Lila, the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Even if one distributes 10 million cows in charity during an eclipse of the sun, lives at the confluence of the Ganges and Jamuna for millions of years, or gives a mountain of gold in sacrifice to the Brahmanas, he does not earn 100th part of the merit derived from chanting Hare Krishna. And then um, Raghunandan Prabhu has pr provided the mantra that we can chant. Uh, usually um, you uh, take your Brahmin thread and you put it around your thumb and then with, uh, I don't know if you can see it, with this finger, you touch the water, carefully not to touch the nail of the finger to the water, and you say, Ganga Chai Kimuna Chai Vag, called Havari Saraswati, Narmada, Sundu Kaveri, Jalishmin, Santim Kuru. And the, by calling the names of those sacred rivers, they enter into the water that you just uh, sanctified by mantra. So next time you're in a swimming pool, you can sanctify the whole swimming pool. I don't know if that works. <laughs> uh -huh. So some thoughts about the Ganges or your experiences at the Ganges or uh, 
the chakra mudra and go mudras enhance the chant when sanctifying the water too, says uh, Jiva Tafapu and or his wife. Some comments about the Ganges or the Ganga. Um, I, I remember going swimming at, at Mayapur and, um, you know, it was really, really fast moving. So we'd leave our like, you know, towel at one spot and then walk about a quarter of a mile up and then dive in and float back down. You know, it was very <laughs> moving. And I was glad I was with some Australians that were really good swimmers. They're <laughs> safe. Yeah, it's part of their karma to be good swimmers. True. <laughs> Other thoughts? Um, in Mayapur, like uh, during the Mayapur Yatra conducted by Prabhupada Swami Maharaj, uh, we used, we take boat rides across the Ganges to go through the different highlands. So as we take the boat ride, devotees dip their beads in the Ganges water to purify them. And then we also had our empty water bottle and we dipped it in the river and then drank directly from there. Very good. That part of the Ganges is called Jalangi. Yeah, well, you can see where the Jalangi and the Ganga merge. If you, if you, uh, there's different color in the water. Yeah. Yes. Anything else on the Ganga? <laughs> Hare Krishna Prabhu, this is Jeev Tatudas. Yes. yes. So we all know that. Uh, Ganges, she takes away the reactions of sins, but Yamuna is even more glorified because she removes the reactions of bias as well as sinful activities. So more sure. benefiting. <laughs> and then in one place, yes, thank you for that. Also, I read uh, yesterday that Jamuna is considered more pure because Krishna, um, because when, when the Jamuna goes through Vrindavan, but then one could argue, well, the Ganga goes through Nabhadweep. <laughs> uh, we know Lord Chaitanya took path there. So both are wonderful. And um, it's and we also have seen that, I don't know what's happening now, but um, during the pandemic, uh, both rivers have become much less superficially, we could say at least polluted, um, because of the pandemic which is a good thing. But if you go to the source of these rivers, the uh, Gangotri and Jan, Jan... How do you pronounce it? Jamunotri. Uh, it's amazing how they're coming out, uh, well, seemingly from the glacier, but you know, ultimately, as we read in this chapter, coming from elsewhere. Okay, anything else? I guess no problem. Um, what yes, got my mind was, while reading this, uh, I even got more respect, um, uh, like, you know, how, uh, how beautiful it is, uh, that, um, how purity of this Ganges that uh, we can able to see and then we can able to touch and experience. And I have, you know, I basically heard from, uh, before, uh, reading, reading this, I heard from many people is pure, 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 but after reading Bhagavatam, like, I, I even got more respect and more, um, um, what I say that uh, uh, that like you know even though I don't experience but uh, trusting scriptures gives me so much amount of faith and then so much amount of uh, happiness that like we can still experience uh, and we can able to touch and you know uh, uh, take advantage of uh, Ganga's uh, path. Nice. Thank you. Okay, let's carry on and we're going to 
Verse number 11, is that right? Okay, verse number 11. Among the nine varshas, the tract of land known as Bargarsh is understood to be the field of fruit of activities. Learned scholars and saintly persons declare that the other eight varshas to be bent, um, other eight varshas to be meant for very highly elevated pious persons. After returning from the heavenly planets, they enjoy the remaining results of their pious activities in these eight earthly marshes. So there's a lot in this purport. Um, I picked up on, well, really one, one small thing. I mean, you, you look at the second half of the purport, it's about the spiritual master and the great fortune it is to um, have a bona fide representative of Krishna and how the guru must be a direct representative of Krishna who distributes the instructions of Krishna without any change. Thus, only the most fortunate persons come in contact with the guru. And then Prabhupada quotes, Tad Vigyanartam Sagurum Eva Pigachet from the Mukunda Upanishad. And one has to search out a guru to understand the affairs of the spiritual world. And he quotes the, you know, some of the really well-known verses. And then he you know, makes a, um, a strong point of who is a guru, and it's one who is a Vaishnava. And even if one is a Brahmana, but if he's not a devotee, then he's not a guru. And even if one is, has, you know, externally a very low birth, um, Vaishnava, uh, Vaishnava Swapacho Guru, but Vaishnava, a bona fide representative of the Supreme Personality of God, who can be a guru, even if he comes from, you know, a family of dog eaters. Um, so something that's so important in ISKCON that we don't judge people by, by their birth, but by their devotional qualities. And there's a verse that we'll be talking about that, the 12th verse of the next chapter that talks about that in details. But I was thinking of, you know, so Prabhupada in the, um, in the purple also talks about the six uh, kinds of, auspicious qualifications. Um, uh, patana, patana, um, yajana, yajana, uh, dhana, pratigraha. That, you know, um, being, a, being coming learned and uh, teaching others, knowing worship, how to worship and teaching others, and um, being qualified to accept alms and distributing the wealth and charity. So I was just thinking about this point, about the qualification to accept alms. And in one sense, it's easy for us. Just one second. It's easy for us because if we accept alms or donations of any kind, and we uh, give that to, uh, in, in DC's uh, situation, the Sri Sri Radha Madan Mohan, and, and to, to the uh, temple, to ISKCON, then um, we're qualified. Even if we have, like, no other qualifications, that as long as, you know, we don't use any of the money for ourselves, but we use it in Krishna's service, then um, it's amazing how easily, in one sense, we can have that qualification, right? But it is a, a, an important, it is really an important point, how we... Money is a kind of shakti, isn't it? It's you know, representative of Lakshmi Devi. And it really must be used so carefully. 
Prabhupada writes in the fourth canto, although Dhruva Maharaj was a great devotee and had nothing to do with these sacrifices, to set an example to his people, he performed many sacrifices and gave all his wealth in charity. For as long as he lived a, as a householder, he never spent a farthing for his sense gratification. And then in the um, fifth canto, Prabhupada writes that, on the other side, those who collect contributions on behalf of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness should be very careful not to use even a farthing of the collection for any purpose other than the transcendental loving service of the Lord. And finally, uh, I, I, I did a key uh, search for the word farthing. Um, and this is uh, Prabhupada's discussion with the devotee we had on the call last week, Ramatirtha Prabhu. Prabhupada said, yes, you saved him from going to hell. Because a farthing spent for Krishna, it will be accounted. Okay, this man has given a farthing, Krishna thinks. This is called agyata sukriti, spiritual activity one performs unknowingly. They are very pure and they are very poor in their thought. Therefore, the saintly person moves just to enlighten him a little, to give him a chance to serve Krishna. Giving him a chance to serve Krishna, that is a saintly person's study. So, I just was, I was just thinking about this, that, that this is a, um, I mean, it's, in one sense, it's an obvious thing, and especially for people on, on this call, it's not, a, it's not an issue, but it is such an important thing um, that, especially when we collect any kind of donation in the name of Krishna consciousness, to make sure that it all goes to Krishna. And then that's so easy to be a, uh, um, have at least that part of the Brahminical qualification. Right, so money or Lakshmi is a very powerful thing in this world, one of the most powerful things. And a devotee, therefore, deals with anything powerful in a careful way, <laughs> isn't it? So we're careful with our own finances. Even Prabhupada writes, I think it's in the eighth canto, I can't remember for sure, that a householder doesn't uh, tell their economic situation to others. Keep it a little close to their chest. <laughs> right? um, and then uh, whenever we uh, have been given some money in Krishna's service, uh, we make sure that we it's used solely for that purpose. <laughs> I remember the other day, I mean, maybe I'm, because Prabhupada said a farthing. I, I didn't do, uh, a farthing is a very small amount of money. <clears throat> so the other day, I'm not you know, generally going to the temple at all, but my wife is, so I found a penny on the street. So I gave her the penny and I said, baby, make sure you put this in the hundi. Make sure you get this. So that person who dropped that penny somewhere gets some benefit by giving a farthing to Krishna. And I was like, and after she comes back, I said, did you give that penny? <laughs> like it was a big meditation for me because uh, that person would, would benefit. So some thoughts on farthings or money or any of the other points uh, in this purport about, um, about how it's not one doesn't judge a guru by their birth or the color of their skin or things like that. Well, I, I liked how you said it was Shakti because a lot of people dispute like what we would say or things we're doing here, right? But money is a very widely accepted, people just believe it and it's just a concept like anything else. And so uh, you're saying Shakti, and that's, yeah. to me, that's very important. Yeah. We give it power by believing it. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you ever have been around gold. 
you know, some gold bullion or something. But it has a certain power. You know, in one place in the Bhagavatam, it's called yellow stool. But that's, you know, in a specific context about when we become too attached to it. But it has some, like, energy that it gives off. Isn't it? You know, it's, it's quite a uh, pow- powerful thing. And it's funny because, you know, these days we don't even deal with currency anymore, practically. I think most of us just deal with uh, numbers that are put into a bank account, you know, after, after we've worked, you know, after one week or two weeks of work, right? <laughs> but, uh, but only because those numbers represent some ways to maintain us, they have some significance. But when you think about it, we work really hard 40 hours a week or 80 hours every two weeks, and what do we get? We get some numbers on a screen <laughs> in exchange for it. <laughs> but those numbers do ex- uh, represent some buying power and things like that. But it is people, what people will do for money, we know, right? We, we all know. Um, they'll sometimes do really terrible things. Sometimes they'll do very uh, aggressive things. Sometimes they'll dedicate their whole life to it. Yeah. So you're right, Andy. It has a lot of shock. Other thoughts? Uh, Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Raghunandri. Um, regarding Guru, I my thought was go in the direction like Guru is uh, it, it's a very um, respectable position, and as in the case of any position, uh, the person that is occupying the position is distinct from the position that the person occupies. So in some cases, we see the position itself is glorious and the person is also glorious by their own merit. And in some cases, we see the position is glorious, but the person might not be doing that much justice to the uh, position, but still that position should be respected and honored. Hmm. That's nice. Yes, and, and so there's different grades of guru, or there's different kinds of gurus, uh, Shiksha guru, Diksha guru, Vartma production of guru. Um, in the 11th canto, there's there's 24 gurus, right, you know, including a prostitute and, and different kind of animals. Uh, Saradia, I just put you on mute because there was a lot of noise, but you can go on mute if you want to say something. Um, Yes, well, well said. And, and Prabhupada would say different things. Sometimes he would say it's so simple. It's not, it's not hard. You just repeat what you heard from your guru. It's just uh, he calls sometimes a guru the peon. Right? The peon in, in India is just like the, the guy in the office who delivers things. Right? <clears throat> yeah. Um, and Lord Chaitanya said, you know, become a guru, all of you, and deliver this world. So, thank you, Raghunanapu. And other thoughts on either guru or money or gold? Hare Krishna Prabhu, this is Jeeva Tattvadas. So, the guru referred here is more with respect to Diksha Guru, right? Because uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself showed by example that one who gives you instructions, you know, irrespective of their position, is also very important. Like he had Gopal Guru, the nine year old boy Gopal who tells him, why do you stop chanting when you go, you know, to relieve yourself? And at that time, he says, what if death comes? So when he would visit. So again, 
we get instructions, we get uh, margdarshan, we get we shown the path. So shiksha gurus and you know path dakshi gurus. So those are also there. And shiksha guru is considered almost at the same level as diksha guru. Any comments on that? Again, in addition to that, Lord Dattatriya talks about twenty-four gurus. Yes, and them is referring to the pigeon and uh, in the purpose and also Shukdev Goswami is identifying as a foolish pigeon. Nice. that is well, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, well, you, there must be there's different levels of shiksha gurus, but um, not almost. Uh, in the Chaitanya Charitamrita says that they are exactly equal shiksha and diksha gurus. And if you look in the at the end of the introduction to the Bhagavad Gita, um, the list of gurus there. Um, oh, somebody! Oh, that that uh, um, put in the uh, famous verse in the uh, chat that uh, become a guru. His Lord Chaitanya's order. So Shiksha Guru, um, and Prabhupada also writes that the Shiksha Guru generally becomes the Diksha Guru. That one, you know, gets inspired by by the shiksha and then ultimately asks that person for initiation. So we haven't, you know, it's still not like uh, fully an established understanding within our ISKCON society. There, there's definitely desires to have it go in that direction. Shiva Ramaraj wrote a whole book on the, the uh, Diksha Guru and Shiksha Guru as being the same, uh, be honored in the same way. But we still, when we have our list of gurus in ISKCON, they're actually just Diksha Gurus. We have so many more Shiksha Gurus. And even... We know that in many devotees' lives, um, their shiksha gurus have a higher um, relevance to them because they, they may see them more often rather than a diksha guru they may see very infrequently uh, or may not communicate with them very frequently. So it's, there's, there's a kind of variety in our, in our organization right now about the kind. But you're right, shiksha and diksha are to be, you know, uh, it's, they're so important that our sampradaya is actually a shiksha sampradaya more than a diksha sampradaya. Yeah, now that, that was that was written by Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, that, that list. Anything else on gurus or money? Cool, okay. Shall we carry on then? And then the next verse, yeah, I believe, is 14. If I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, so in verse 14, it is said, To show mercy to his devotees in each of these nine tracts of land, the Supreme Personality of God, known as Narayana, expands himself in his quadruple principles of Vasudev, Sankarsana, Pradumna, and Aniruddha. In this way, he remains near his devotees to accept their service. And few things I picked up. This one sentence, what a meditation this is. There is no difference between the arch of Vigraha and the original person. And therefore, those who are engaged in worshipping the deity in the temple in full opulence, even on this planet, should be understood to be directly in touch with the Supreme Personality of God without a doubt. So I read that yesterday, and today I went to take darshan of Radha Mohan, and uh, I was trying to meditate on these uh, on the sentence here. Uh, that I'm directly in front of God by uh, seeing the Archa Vigraha. And then Prabhupada goes on to say that we should worship the, uh, the Archa Vigraha without offenses. 
and how important that is to really understand the Archibigraha and, and progress in our bhakti. Um, <clears throat> so there are all these offenses in deity worship. And interestingly enough, they are not as, they're called seva aparad. Uh, aparad means offenses and seva means when worshiping, when worshiping the deity, particularly doing service in general. Uh, and these are not as, um, what's the word, deleterious as, right, as non-aparads, but still they are to be avoided. Uh, some of them, of course, are, are more, were written, you know, that might, they may not apply to ISKCON today so much. Um, but I'll read some of them. Um, this is from the Nectar of Devotion, I believe, chapter 8. One should not enter the temple of the deity in a car or palaquin or with shoes on the feet. Okay, so that, that's a pretty clear one. You know, you know, in palaquin, that means like you're so special that you should be carried in a palaquin to go see Krishna. You know, it's more like you should be crawling into the temple, right? And of course, shoes on the feet is um, it's a sign of respect to take off your shoes and it's also cleanliness. Uh, one should not fail to observe the various festivals for Krishna's pleasure, like Jamasmi and Rathayatra. One should uh, not avoid bowing down before the deity. So and now with COVID, in some temples, they, you know, they're saying, okay, you can come to the temple, but don't bow down. But even if you do that, you should uh, do manasa. You should uh, bow down in your mind if you're going to the temple, just maybe for COVID-19 reasons, you may not do it physically, but certainly uh, in your mind. You know, if you're just like, hey, Krishna, how's it going? And you don't, Pay respects to him, that's not very good. Um, one should not enter the temple to worship the Lord without having one. And some of these, by the way, are about pujaris, specifically. Um, those who are going to actually do the worship. One should not enter the temple to worship the Lord without having washed one's hands and feet after eating. Okay, so clear cleanliness issues. One should not enter the temple in a contaminated state. For example, if uh, someone dies in the family, the whole family becomes contaminated for some time according to its status. <clears throat> one should not bow down on one hand, on one hand. One should not circumambulate in front. So, yeah, just the idea that when you circumambulate, you're, it's a kind of worship, it's a kind of respect, and our respect should be uh, for the Lord. Okay, so we circumambulate the deities, and even, I don't know if this is what Prabhupada was thinking, but we have Tulsi Puja in the temple after the curtains are closed. Right in the morning, so you're not actually circumambulating Tulsi um, in front of the deities. Of course, I don't know if the deities would have, pay, I don't think there's any offense in circumambulating one of Krishna's pure devotees. <clears throat> we'll just read a few more. Um, one should not spread his legs before the deities, one should not sit before the deity holding ankles, elbows, or knees, you know, just in a casual position. One should not lie down before the deity, okay? One should not accept prasad before the deity. It's okay to take maha prasadam if someone gives you a maha sweet or something like that. There's another injunction that says that. But, you know, we don't sit down to our uh, eight-course feast <laughs> in front of the uh, front of the deities. Um, one should never speak a lie before the deities. One should not talk very loudly before the deities. One should not talk with others before the In other words, you know, you don't get into a whole conversation about, well, my son got into this college but didn't get into that one. And 
we're trying to weigh the differences financially about in-state tuition, but you know, you don't get into conversations like that. You just say, oh, let's just step outside or let's go to the prashadam room or something like that and have those kind of conversations. Um, in the temple room, it's, it's, it's pres preserved, reserved for uh, Krishna Kata. <clears throat> One should not chastise anyone before the deity. One should not be charitable to beggars before the deity. One should not speak very harshly to others. Uh, one should not wear a fur blanket. Okay, uh, eulogizing or praising anyone else before the deity. Now, we do sometimes praise Vaishnavas, uh, but the idea is to see them in connection with Krishna. Don't say ill names. Don't pass air. Um, be sure to worship Krishna according to your abilities. Even if you only have, a, if you're very poor, you can still offer him something. Um, one should not eat anything which is not offered first to Krishna. Um, and there's more. But you get the idea. Matter of fact, it goes on to list another 32. So there, there's tons of them. <clears throat> and then after that, then Prabhupada in that same chapter uh, recites the 10 offenses against the holy name. And the last sentence is, every devotee who claims to be a Vaishnava must guard against these offenses in order to quickly achieve the desired success. So some thoughts on avoiding offenses or the whole um, idea of deity worship. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, uh, uh, The statement that Prabhupada is making that the Supreme Lord is non-different from the deity, it reminded me of the pastime of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. <coughs> He and Nityananda Prabhu visits uh, Gauritas Pandit, and uh, he stays with them. He, with, uh, they stay with him for some time, and then they are about to leave. And he, Gauritas Pandit couldn't bear separation from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, right there, manifests a life-size form of the deities of both of them, and says, "We, I, we are not different from these deities." So, and they start walking out. Uh, towards the door, and Gauridas Pandit runs after them and said, "No, no, no, no! If if you are not different from the day, let the deities go. You stay here with me." So they come back and become immobile, and the deities become mobile and start walking. And he couldn't choose between them. He is like going back and forth between them twenty-two times, and finally they couldn't even recognize. He couldn't recognize which one is the deity and which <laughs> one is. <laughs> are even now present in Ambika Kalna in West Bengal, India. Yes, thank you for that. And there's so many pastimes, uh, both in ISKCON and in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Um, when they were having the first Gorpranim festival in, in Khetri, and Narottama Das Thakur was arranging with Srinivasacharya, and all the arrangements for it was like the first Gorpurnima festival. And they were also, uh, his brother was the king, I believe, and uh, built, was building, built a new temple for that occasion. And this was, this was a very, very significant event, by the way, because it was the bringing together of different, uh, you could even say schools of thought, in, uh, but all followers of Lord Chaitanya, the, the devotees from Vrindavan more, into the worship of Radha and Krishna, and and uh, the devotees from um, 
uh, Nabadweep were there. And so he brought all the Vaishnavas together. And it also was significant because it became, you know, the it established the Chaitanya Charitamrita as the canon or the, the main book for all of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's followers. So anyway, everything was going well. They had made all these amazing arrangements for all the visiting devotees. The guest of honor, by the way, was, uh, does anyone know who the guest of honor was? The biggest personality of them all? It was uh, Janavama, uh, Lord Nityananda's wife. She was the May, she was the Acharya of all the Acharyas. So, uh, so they arranged all these things and, and wonderful prasadam and they had made deities of Radha and Krishna. And the one thing that Naratam Das Thakur was unhappy with was the deity of Lord Chaitanya. And every time he tried to tell the, he, he would talk to the, uh, the artisans who were carving the deities and it's just, a, it's just not working. It's just not right. And then, that evening, that night, when he's sleeping, Lord Chaitanya comes to him in a dream and says that, don't worry about that, the carving of that deity. Um, I have given you the perfect deity of me, and he's in the, uh, the go-down or the uh, storage room where this one rich merchant keeps rice. And Narasam wakes up and... You know, and then there's a whole pastime of him going there, and the merchant says, no, you can't go in there. There's so many snakes. It'll be very dangerous. It's very bad. And he goes in anyway, and then all the snakes come out, you know, and he finds the deity of Lord Chaitanya there. So, And, and of course, the story of Shakshi Gopal, um, and so many stories, uh, stories of wrong word, pastimes. Um, exchanges of bhakti between the devotee and the deity form. Yeah. Thank you. Other th and thank you, Suganda, for putting this point about uh, even if you're a big offender, you can be delivered by chanting, but if you offend the holy name, then where's your chance of getting delivered? Other thoughts? I wanted to share an anecdote about uh, time, place, and circumstance, perhaps. So when I took my father to meet uh, Satsvarup Maharaj at Gita Nagri, you know, we had a wonderful tour, and Maharaj and my father really hit it off, and we went to the barn and the school and the other places. And when we got to the temple room door, you know, people were taking off the shoes, and a devotee was about to tell my father to take off his shoes. And I saw Satsvarup signaled him not to. So, you know, so and so Satsvaru let my father, because he was an elderly man and he wouldn't have been comfortable taking off his shoes, he let him come into the temple of Radhadamadar without, you know, with, with his shoes on. You know, and I'm so, I'm so deeply thankful for the mercy of Satsvaru because right. my father would have never had darshan in his life, but you know, he just let him go right in and it was, it was beautiful. And I, I always think about that. Nice. We, we did something similar when uh, we had the grand opening of the Detroit Temple and Ambarish Prabhu's parents came and uh, the Ford family. And we, we just, uh, Bhavananda Prabhu said, no, it's okay. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Into the temple. Yes. Yeah, so there are, there are time, place, and circumstance uh, considerations sometimes that we, we, we don't, we don't do them capriciously, you know, just like mindlessly and, yeah, it doesn't matter, but but we also uh, remember the essence 
Smartavya satatam vishnu vismartavya najatuchit sarvavidi nishedhashur etayor eva kinkram. That all the do's and don'ts are servants of the principle of always remembering Krishna and never forgetting him. Thank you for that, Henry. Okay, uh, unless there's anything else, we will move on to the next chapter. So the Ganges has now descended, and we heard about that, by the way, in the presentation last week, and also hopefully that you have read. Although I will, I do like this one point that uh, in verse 21, that that the universe is resting on the hoods of Shesha, and they're no heavier in his, in terms of his, the burden, they're no heavier than a mustard seed on him. <laughs> okay, so now, text number one. And we are starting with, okay, so we're starting with uh, uh, Bad, Badra Shava's Prayers from verse number two to verse number six. And so what he does is, uh, it's his prayers to Lord Hayashirsha. And so in these five prayers from verse two to six, uh, Badrashrava uh, and his intimate associates, they are praying to the Lord, uh, the source of, uh, Hayashirsha is considered the source of religious principles. And so he's repeatedly offering his obeisances, <clears throat> and, and, and then in verse 2, he laments the fate of those who are so materialistic that they don't heed the approach of death. Well, that's in verse 3, actually. And in verse 4, he notes that the Lord's illusory energy, maya, bewilders not only the foolish, but the realized scholars. That's the verse we're going to study in a minute. And then in text 5 and 6, he points out that the transcendent Lord Krishna, who is the cause of everything um, and the active ingredient in everything, is detached from matter. Yet he retrieves, he protects, and distributes transcendental knowledge through his servants. Okay, so that's a little background that these first six verses are uh, about Badrash. Uh, so the, the whole chapter is these different residents of Jambutwi offering prayers to the Lord, right? the prayers offered to the Lord by the residents of Jambadu. And verses 1 to 6 is this first one, um, uh, Badra Shrava offering prayers to the Lord, highest Shirshan. Okay, so verse number 4. Oh, we said we would read uh, all the verses here. So verse number 1. Sri Sukadeva Goswami said, Badra Shrava, the son of Tamaraj, rules the tract of land known as uh, Badrashva Varsha. Just as Lord Shiva worshipped Sankarsana in Elavrata Dvarsh, Badrashrava, accompanied by his intimate servants and all the residents of the land, worships the plenary expansion of Vasudev known as Hayashirsha. Lord Hayashirsha is very dear to his devotees, and he is the director of all religious principles. Fixed in the topmost trance, Badrashrava, and his associates offered their respectful obeisances to the Lord and chant the following prayers with careful pronunciation. Okay, so we offer our respectful obeisances unto the Supreme Personality of Godhead, this is verse 2, the reservoir of all religious principles who cleanses the heart of the conditioned souls in the material world. Again and again, we offer our respectful obeisances to him. Alas, how wonderful it is that the foolish materialist does not Heed the great danger of impending death. 
He knows that death will surely come, yet he is nevertheless callous and neglectful. If his father dies, he wants to enjoy his father's property, and if his son dies, he wants to enjoy his son's possessions as well. In either case, he heedlessly tries to enjoy material happiness with the acquired money. There's that money point again. And then to the, the verse we're going to talk about, the unborn one, oh, unborn one, learned Vedic scholars who are advanced in spiritual knowledge certainly know that this material world is perishable, as do other logicians and philosophers. In trance, they realize the factual position of this world, and they preach the truth as well. Yet, even they are sometimes bewildered by your illusory energies. Even the great scholars are bewildered. This is your wonderful, own wonderful pastime. Therefore, I can understand that your illusory energy is very wonderful, and I offer my respectful obeisances unto you. So this is quite a purport. Um, and we'll read, maybe we'll read most of it. Not only does the illusory energy, the supreme personality of God, act on the conditioned soul within the material world. Okay, so we know that, right? Acts on, but then, but sometimes it also acts on the most advanced learned scholars who actually know the constitutional position of this material world through realization. As soon as someone thinks, I am this material body, aham mameti, and everything in relationship with this body is mine, he is in illusion, moha. This illusion caused by the material energy acts, exact, especially on the conditioned souls, but it sometimes also acts on liberated souls as well. A liberated soul is a person who has sufficient knowledge of this material world and is therefore unattached to the bodily conception of life. But because of association with the modes of material nature for a very long time, even liberated souls sometimes become captivated by the illusory energy due to inattentiveness to the transcendental position. Therefore, Lord Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Mam eva Only those who surrender unto me can overcome the influence of the material energy. Therefore, no one, and here's kind of the um, conclusion, therefore, no one should think of himself as a liberated person immune to the influence of maya. Everyone should be, uh, should very cautiously execute devotional service by rigidly following regulated principles. Thus, he will remain fixed at the lotus feet of the Lord. Otherwise, a little intention will create havoc. We have already seen an example of this in the case of Maharaj Bharata. Maharaj Bharata was undoubtedly a great devotee, um, but because he turned his attention slightly towards a small deer, he had to suffer two more births. One as a deer, another as a Brahmana Janaparta. Afterwards, he was liberated and went back home, back together. The Lord is always prepared to excuse his devotee. But a devotee, if a devotee takes advantage of the Lord's leniency and purposely commits mistakes again and again, the Lord will certainly punish him by letting him fall down into the clutches of the illusory energy. In other words, theoretical knowledge acquired by study in the Vedas is insufficient to protect one from the clutches of Maya. One must strongly adhere to the lotus feet of the Lord in devotional service. Then one's position is secure. What a powerful purport, huh? Prabhupada once told his disciples, the trouble with you is that you're not sufficiently afraid of Maya. The trouble with you is that you're not sufficiently afraid of Maya. 
And then Prabhupada really liked to quote this verse from the Kata Upanishad. Um, and it, these, it begins, Utish, Utish Tata Jagrata. Uh, please wake up and try to understand the boon that you have in this human form of life. The path of spiritual realization is very difficult. It is sharp like the razor's edge. That is the opinion of learned transcendental scholars. So, sharp as a razor's edge, right? You just have a little in inattentiveness when you're shaving, especially if you're using one of those, in, in this, one of those um, uh, single edge razors, right, that the barbers use, right? <laughs> and a little inattentive, oh, there comes the blood, right? So... Um, spiritual life is like that. So when we ta we're taking up spiritual life, we have to be sufficiently fearful of the illusory energy and not think, you know, we, you know, put our Krishna consciousness on cruise control like that. So there's a lot in this purport, but uh, I thought I'd ask what is, is some realization, thoughts, questions that you have after we read that purport. Krishna Prabhu. Um, yes, Prabhu. I always take inspiration from that verse that's quoted in that purport, Bhagavad Gita 7.14. Uh, so he, Krishna declares how powerful his material energy is, and he declares that it cannot be easily overcome just by our own efforts. But anybody who makes the attempt to surrender to him, for them, it's just very simple and easy to overcome it. So he, he, he gives the actual nature of the material energy, how strong and powerful, at the same time gives a, an exit path. Surrender to me and it becomes my, very easy for you to overcome my material energy. Yes, yes, thank you for that. And Sukhanda is putting something in from Nectar Devotion. The idea is that we should always continue to act as a neophyte devotee as long as his material body is here. Activities in devotional service under regulated principles must be followed even by the pure devotee. So, in, by the way, the specific um, reference to neophyte devotee in this means act as a sadaka. Even if one is um, practicing raganuga bhakti and, and is uh, focused on the uh, following the footsteps of a resident of Vrindavan, they will act as a neophyte, meaning they will still chant rounds on their beads, they'll still dress as a Vaishnava, they won't, they won't, a man won't put on a sari and make them think that he's a gopi. So he'll act externally like Rupa Goswami, even if internally he's uh, acting, uh, meditating on Rupa Manjari. So thank you for posting that. Um, and yeah, the example I like to give, it's just something from my childhood. Um, my brother is, is six years older than me. And so I, I can remember this one situation where I was kind of being bullied by people maybe who were like a year older than me, right? And I didn't have the strength to fight them off. But then when I ran to find my brother, who was six years older than me and five years older than them, and, you know, that could be a big difference in size when you're young. Uh, they, they immediately dispersed, the, the kids who were a year older than me. So for me, that was like a, a good example of what it's like 
dealing with uh, the relative dealings of, of Krishna's external energy, Maya, and taking shelter of Krishna. That Maya is under, uh, as Vyasadeva uh, um, uh, got the realization that Maya was under full control. Why wasn't it Vyasadeva in the first canto? That Maya was under full control of Krishna. Or was it Narada? That was Vyasa. That was Vyasa, right. So, thank you for that. Other thoughts? Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, go ahead, Abby. <clears throat> I think this is one of the most important purports to me I've read in a long time because they had that one sentence uh, quoted from the Srimad Bhagavatam. I am the material body and everything in relationship with this material body is mine. Now there's a lot of people at the temple that are making good progress on the second part. They, they don't think that everything in relationship with this material body is mine. Or they're they're very well along in that, but there's a big gulf between that and knowing that you're not this material body. Just like there's a big gulf between a devotee and a pure devotee, like Prabhupada. So that's an important connection to reality versus yeah. aspiration. I don't know. I hardly ever see someone who I really feel like when you look at Prabhupada that they really don't believe that they are this material body. So that. That's a big challenge. That's a big gulf between those two things. Uh, just not believing it's yours, but also not believing you're not even this body. Yeah, well, good. Yes, that's, it, yeah. the bodily conception of life is very, very powerful. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And it's also tricky for as devotees because we're trying to become free from the bodily conception of life. Yeah, we are in this world. We still have some bodily designations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, let's say I'm very free from the bodily conception of life, but if I'm in the airport, I will use the men's room and not the ladies' room, even though I know uh, ultimately I'm neither a man nor a woman, right? I'm spirit soul. Or, um, you know, I may be, I may theoretically or, or even understand that, you know, my relationship with my family is is temporary and I've had so many, brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and fathers and mothers in the past. Um, yet, part of our dharma in this life is to, you know, deal with people, you know, in, in our family situation. So having that kind of like that theory on one hand, but then dealing with uh, the, the present temporary reality on the other is a balancing act. In the early days of this kind, we didn't do very well with it at all. And that was one of the reasons why in those days it was like, for example, a very high divorce rate because like, who cares about my husband or my wife? That's just like for the next few years and after that it's just like little two pieces of seaweed coming together and going apart. That's the example given in the Bhagavatam. So it, it's just, all I'm saying by this is that it's tricky and therefore it ties in with the verse that Raghunandam Prabhu brought up that you, really it's Krishna's mercy that how that... Um, bodily conception of life becomes overcome. And when you see how strong it is in the world today, right? Uh, you know, the whole thing with Black Life Matters and, 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 and the way people, um, black people have been dealt with because of the color of their skin, um, the way Aborigines have been dealt with in Australia, the way Native Americans have been dealt with, you know, you go all over the world. Or, or the way women have been dealt with, or the way poor people, you know, 
you name it, whatever upadi is designation in their body, there's some people who are not going to like that upadi. So it is a, uh, I'm glad you highlighted this point, uh, Andy, because it is such a key thing we sometimes overlook. Because mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I know I'm not the body. Let's, you know, now let's talk about something esoteric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank you for that. Any other thoughts on that, Andy? Oh, you mean me again? I'm just seeing if there's any follow-up, not like a, no pressure. Well, I mean, no, I, I just think that it underscores that you have to really do the meditation because if all the other people you're associating with the temple, they're helping you, of course, by the association, but they're also fighting the same problem, you know, <laughs> right? So you ha- when you say the Maha Mantra, you have to really meditate on it to get that inside feeling to really put you the final mile, I think. That's a good point. Prabhupada writes that because it's, you know, the, the, um, just the identifying with the body is because of the false ego. And like you're saying, Prabhupada said, when you're chanting Hare Krishna properly, then you're, the, you're dissolving the, gradually the false ego. Yeah. Okay. Anyone else? No more quotes to Bender. We're uh, disappointed. It's been like five minutes. <laughs> No, we really, by the way, I really appreciate you when you find things about that. It's really great. Okay, well then let us go. We're, now we're going on to three of some of the most famous and important verses in the Bhagavatam, prayers in the Bhagavatam. And funny enough, this verse number eight, of all the verses, Bhagavad Gita, Dehino Shmin, the, you know, the simplest verses, in the Bhagavatam, this verse number eight was the first shloka that I ever memorized. <clears throat> so, verse number five. Um, so this is still uh, the um, the prayers of uh, Badrashrava up until five and six. O Lord, although you are completely detached from the creation, maintenance, and annihilation of this material world, and are not directly affected by these activities, they are all attributed to you. We do not wonder at this, for your inconceivable energies perfectly qualify you to be the cause of all causes. You are the active principle in everything, although you are separate from everything. Thus, we can realize that everything is happening because of your inconceivable energy. Verse 6. At the end of the millennium, ignorance personified assumed the form of a demon, stole all the Vedas and took them down to the planet of Rasatala. The Supreme Lord, however, in his form as Hayagriva, retrieved the Vedas and returned them to Lord Brahma when he begged for them. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Supreme Lord whose determination never fails. Okay, so now we're switching to Prahlad Maharaj's prayers. Sukadeva Goswami continued, My dear King, Lord Nirsingadev, resides in the tract of land known as Harivarsha. In the seventh canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, I shall describe to you how Prahlad Maharaj caused the Lord to assume the form of Nrsimhadev. Prahlad Maharaj, the topmost devotee of the Lord, is a reservoir of all good qualities of great personalities. His character and activities have delivered all the fallen members of his demoniac family. Lord Nrsimhadev is very dear to this exalted personality. Thus, Prahlad Maharaj along with his servants and all the denizens of Hari Varsha, 
worship Lord Nishinga by chanting the following mantra. So this is the famous mantra. Om Namo Bhagavate Narasinghaya Namaste Jaste Jaste Abhir Abhir Bhavabra Janakam Rajanam Shakmarasem Randaya Randaya Tamograsa Grasa Om Swaha Abhayam Abhayam Atmani Bhuisa Om Shraum. I offer my respectful obeisances on the Lord Nishinga Day, the source of all power. O oh, my Lord, who possesses nails and teeth just like thunderbolts, kindly vanquish our demon-like desires for fruit of activity in this material world. Please appear in our hearts and drive away our ignorance so that by your mercy we may become fearless in the struggle for existence in this material world. <clears throat> Prabhupada writes that every living being within this material world has a strong desire to enjoy matter to its fullest extent. Every living being within this material world has a strong desire to enjoy matter to its fullest extent. For this purpose, the conditioned soul must accept one body after another and thus strongly fix his strongly fixed fruitive desires continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Prabhupada quotes the famous verse on Yabi Lashita Shunyam, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. And then he writes that unless one is completely free from all material desires which are caused by the dense darkness of ignorance, one cannot fully engage in the devotional service of the Lord. Therefore, we should always offer our prayers to Lord Nishingadev, who killed Hiranyakashipu, the personification of material desire. <clears throat> so he's, then he says that Hiranyakashipu was the perfect representative of materialistic life. And then the last sentence... And the reason that I memorize this verse, any, desi- any devotee aspiring to be free of material desire should offer his respectful prayers to Nishinghadev as Prahlad Maharaj did in this verse. So I, I was a new devotee or just coming around, and one of the, I think it was the temple president at that time, um, said, you should memorize this verse. You get free from all material desires so that you can join the ashram and become a devotee. So, I memorized it. <laughs> um, it's a, but, it, but it says here, any devotee aspiring to be free of material desires should offer his respectful prayers to Nishingadev as Pallad Maharaj did in this verse. Um, Sukanda, if you could cut and paste into the uh, chat... Um, 11, 20, 27, and 28. We've talked about that verse before. Uh, chapter, uh, Canto 11, verse, uh, chapter 20, verses 27 and 28. So I don't know if any of you have, um, I, I've got some inspiration. I was watching some YouTube videos by a devotee named Balaram Shakti Prabhu. Um, he's in the Eco Village in, um, in India north of Mumbai, and a very nice presentation, very scholarly but understandable at the same time. So he quote, he, he was talking about this verse, and Yabilashi Tassunyam, that's quoted there, that um, one should render loving, transcendental loving services supreme Lord favorably and without desire for material profit or gain through, through, through fruit of activity or philosophical speculation. That is called pure devotional service. And he was making, there's a lot to it, I can't repeat everything in the short time we have left, but he was making this distinction between Uttam Bhakti and regular Bhakti, you know, Bhakti, the pure devotional service, 
pure bhakti and bhakti, the general concept of bhakti. And he said in his seminar that he was presenting, there's so many lectures of his, really nice, I found them very helpful. Um, he was saying, well, how many of us can say that we have, uh, that all of our abilas, all of our desires are totally sunyam? Because this is a definition of, of Vaidhi Sadhana Bhakti or pure Vaidhi Sadhana Bhakti. So then he goes on to talk about the, the in the Chaitanya, in the Bhagavatam, I think it's the third canto, um, about <clears throat> bhakti that's contaminated by ignorance or passion or goodness. And he said, well, should that be the guiding light for devotees? And they, they, they all devotees found that he said that devotees can usually find some of themselves in those descriptions. But he said that the one that he really found to be, and this is also the, uh, the previous acharyas have said this also, is this verse from the 11th canto, which hopefully you can see in the chat. So um, this, this verse is as a definition or as an inspiration for Vaidhi Sadhana Bhakti. Vaidhi means the following the spiritual master's instructions, following the rules and regulations. You're not, you're the, the, uh, the other kind of sadhana is Raghunuga Sadhana where you're more, your inspiration is not the instructions of the spiritual master and Shastra, but your inspiration is uh, just a spontaneous desire to serve the Lord in a particular way in Braja. So having first awakened, I don't have the sense here, which is fine, Sugandha. Um, having awakened faith in the narration of my glories, okay, so that we have faith in Krishna consciousness, right, and to understand that we have to reject material activities, that's another part, and knowing that sense gratification leads to miseries, but sometimes not being able to renounce all sense enjoyment, um, then the explanation is that should we become depressed because of that? Should, should that repentance, which is a very healthy uh, emotion, right? It says here at the end, my devotee knows that all sense gratification leads to a miserable result, and he sincerely repents. So. So we repent, but we don't allow that repent repentance, repentance <laughs> to lead to uh, depression. Because he says here, a devotee should remain happy and worship me with great faith and conviction, even though he is sometimes engaged in sense and doing my and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So I, he broke it down to the, in these four points as as the key definition of, uh, especially, you know, uh, yeah, first, Avadi, Avadi Sadhana Bhakta, that full faith in Krishna's message, uh, understanding the nature of this world and, and rejecting sense gratification, sometimes struggling with sense gratification, um, repenting for that, but not getting depressed, remaining happy, and taking shelter of devotional service. So just like we were talking about earlier about taking shelter of my brother, right? You take shelter of, of, of this definition of uttama bhakti. And gradually, of course, the desire for sense gratification leaves us. I found his um, description compelling and also very shastric. So if you ever want to, you know, listen to some interesting talks, uh, uh, Balaram Shakti is his name. Some thoughts on this? I thought that verse from Canto 11, 
basically captures the heart of the Supreme Lord. He wants the living beings, us, to be happy. We do, he doesn't want us to like torment ourselves and go, go take a guilt trip. Right. Yes. And then he also adds, he wants us to be happy and worship me with great faith and conviction. So we continue to worship him and practice devotional service and eventually we will reach the destination. Yes, yes. And by the way, maybe we didn't make it clear that the connection that Prabhupada is making is the prayer to Lord Nishingadev is to give up material desires, right? And then the connection is this is how one does it, you know, on Yabilash. How do you make it sunyam? You anukulyena. Uh, you you uh, you do favorable act, uh, acts of bhakti. Anukulyena Krishna anu uh, towards Krishna specifically towards the supreme personality of God. Anukulyena Krishna anu That's called uttama bhakti. Um, yeah, and it's interesting because yeah. It's, it's, yeah, uh, I was going to say something that I'm not going to now, but, it, yeah. but yes, the, the connection here, because we're praying, this is such a powerful prayer. Randaya, Randaya, right, right, get out, get out. Um, I just want to find the, uh, look at the Sanskrit again. Mm. Yeah, grasam, grasam, drive away, drive away. No, grasa, grasa, grasa means drive away. What is Runda? Where is that? He just say a bit. Rundaya, Rundaya, yeah, kindly vanquish, kindly vanquish. <laughs> right, so so strong. Go drive away, grasa, grasa. They repeated twice. Rundaya, Rundaya, uh, kindly vanquish. And then what happens? We become abhayam, abhayam. Fearless in the mind, Atmani. And uh, how do we do it? By taking shelter of Teja Tejase, the power of all powers. Isn't that beautiful? Tejas, Teja Tejase. Please, Avir Avir Bhava, please be fully manifest. O you who possess nails like thunderbolts and teeth like thunderbolts. So if you don't know this verse, you might want to consider memorizing it. It's a wonderful, wonderful verse. And Sudanda has put another wonderful verse, a uh, famous verse, Bhaktiya Parishanu Pavo Viraktiya. That uh, devotion, direct experience of the Lord, and detachment from other things, these three arise um, spontaneously. These three occur spontaneously for one who has taken shelter of the Lord, in the same way that pleasure, nourishment, and relief from hunger comes simultaneously and increasingly with every bite for a person engaged in eating. So she's saying when we get a higher taste, the lower taste goes away. Other thoughts on this? Prayer to Lord Nishingadev by Prahlad Maharaj. <clears throat> Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes. So um, it's interesting that... Um, you know, sometimes uh, in spite of having all this uh, higher taste and this transcendental knowledge, we face so many challenges in making decisions and choices. And the point about being joyful or uh, happily, you know, taking to this yoga or this process of devotional service at all times, having that higher faith 
that you know that krishna is there we can depend on him and we can take shelter and everything can be taken care of. i mean it's a constant choice every moment and we can easily be in forgetfulness very easily due to all kind of uh, you know influence or environment around us the good part is even if that happens the remembrance does happen eventually slowly gradually i mean as as um, time passes it it probably we have more remembrance of it but my experience is um, it's a constant challenge it, it, sometimes i realize that how did i even forget that you know like i'm reading scriptures i know the importance of uh, devotee association and all this transcendental knowledge and i feel i have the faith but maybe not uh, to that level that i'm perfectly there but uh, so at times i find myself um, <clears throat> wondering you know how how do i forget sometimes how how do i just get into some kind of frustration or lamentation at times you know and right. then it it does uh, it does help to uh, introspect put put everything together and uh, so our position right now because we have this body so we are you know going through all different experiences i don't know how many lives we had before how many <laughs> lives are there to go but definitely hearing from devotees and reading scriptures together chanting the holy names you know it, uh, yeah there is a lot of hope there yeah yeah that's right there is hope otherwise we get really easily discouraged uh, hope is in krishna and and prabhupada and our spiritual master and the vaishnavas their kindness it's really where our hope lies thank you for that i i don't think we'll go on to the next this is such an important verse such a beautiful verse and the purport is wonderful and then some of the commentaries which I'll read to you next week by uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur especially it's such a uh, wonderful verse um also I'll share with you a a kind of uh, ecumenical or non-denomination no uh, let's say interfaith translation of this verse that uh his grace ravindrasurupu did when when they when he was reciting it at the national cathedral i mean he definitely maintains the uh uh spirit of the verse but it just puts it in, in a little slightly different english wording for a you know uh a public audience like that very beautifully done by him very impressive so we will start with that verse which is um 5189 such a yeah it's just wonderful and we will uh, meet you all next week ananta rupa just put uh by chanting the glories of the supreme personality of godhead in the association of devotees one becomes satisfied and happy and develops a loving friendship with the uh with the lord uh with the devotees in this way one becomes able to give up material sense gratification which is the cause of all suffering that's on the 11th canto uh of the bhagavatam thank you very much prabhus Any last words of wisdom? Abu can I say something? Yes, please rush me. Yeah, so we are doing Bhakti Shastri course some of us and uh, uh we were reading nectar of devotion this and uh, so the, the supplement of it is waves of devotion. Yeah. There it was described that uh, the sanya vilashita shunyam uh 
sometimes translates to desireness. Ita means ness. So the ultimate goal should be, you know, serving Krishna. Not that, uh, you know, just because of material existence, we might go through some um, survival desires, you know, Krishna help, or those kind of situations we may go through. But our ultimate goal has to be Krishna. That, you know, that deep and strong desire has to be the Krishna. Wonderful. Yes, yes. Yeah. You mean that you were picking up on the Sita part of Anyabila Sita, right? Yes. Yes, it, it also, yeah, kind of like what you were saying. Um, yes, exactly what you were saying, that it's uh, like a normal consciousness. Uh, it, it doesn't rule out that, you know, if uh, if a mad boar is coming to attack you and, Krishna, help, you know, that may not be like total pure devotion, but it's not like a normal situation. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, thank you for that. Very good. Okay, so we will uh, continue next week. Thank you very much for booze. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.